Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Chris Holmes, and this is Burned by Books. Here you'll find interviews with writers you already love, like Jennifer Egan and Rebecca Mackay, mixed in with up-and-coming voices like Alexandra Kleeman and Ruman Alam. You'll find us wherever you listen to podcasts, but check out previous episodes at burnedbybooks.com and on Instagram and Twitter at burnedbybooks. Let's start the show. Welcome to the annual Booksellers Best of 2022. Today I'm joined by three owners and operators of independent bookstores who are here to talk about the books they love and the books they are excited to sell in 2023. No one knows the world of books in the same way as a bookstore owner, GM, or book buyer does. They have a vantage on the world of books that is wider and deeper than any of us could hope to have, no matter how much we nerd out about books. Hopefully you'll find some new books to love or anticipate for the year to come, and we're going to have our booksellers' full lists of favorites up at the website, burnedbybooks.com, with links to purchase them from this group of special indie bookstores. Let's get to know our booksellers this year. Lisa Swayze is the general manager and buyer at Buffalo Street Books, Ithaca's cooperatively owned independent bookstore. You've heard me mention Buffalo Street Books on all the episodes, and it is Lisa who has really transformed the store into a community space for all our community, where anyone can find themselves represented in the books, events, and atmosphere of the bookstore. Hilary Smith is Southern Pomo and Coastal Miwok, and originally from Northern California. She has been a bookseller off and on since 2009. In December 2021, she left her job as an indie bookstore manager in California and moved to Glens Falls, New York. She started Black Walnut Books as a queer and native pop-up and online bookstore focusing on indigenous, BIPOC, and queer authors. In January, Black Walnut Books will become a brick-and-mortar bookstore in the Shirt Factory in Glens Falls. Hannah Oliver Depp is the owner of Loyalty Bookstores in Petworth, D.C. and Silver Spring, Maryland. Loyalty serves all readers as a diverse, intersectional feminist bookstore and programming space. 
Hanna is a founding member of the American Bookselling Association Committee on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and serves on the boards of Bookshop.org and as the president of the New Atlantic Independent Booksellers Association. Welcome, Lisa, Hillary, and Hanna. Hello. Thank you. It's so nice to have you all here. This is such a treat for me, and it's I know it's a treat for our um, for our listeners to get to have this perspective on books and the books that we loved, the books that we missed, the books that we're going to love in the coming years or coming year. Um, but I'm going to start with sort of an unduly large question, but it's one that has been much on my mind. How's this year been for independent bookstores? Are you feeling like customers have returned to something like pre-COVID in-store shopping levels? And what's the health of the independent bookstore from your store's perspective? Hanna, do you want to do you want to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, first, I should just say I'm the president of the New Atlantic uh, Bookstore Association, which is um, the Mid Atlantic and parts of New York. Oh, sorry about that. No, it's okay. It no one knows what New Atlantic is. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we we're like we're not New England. We're not actually the South. So we're the New Atlantic. Um, so yes, it is. It, it has been a a uh, both really good and really tough year, which I think is just book selling um, to a certain degree. <laughs> But there's definitely uh, there there is of course the larger popular thirst for I think that necessarily especially amongst my customer bases for things to go quote unquote back to normal I think there's pretty good recognition that that a wasn't great for everyone and b uh, isn't even possible but there isn't clarity as to what we are actually doing uh, amongst the customers so for instance we're actually still masking we have several immunocompromised folks on staff and we have a big kids department and kids section and and people we we give masks away at the door if people don't bring theirs and we're both neighborhood bookstores in both my locations people are pretty comfortable with it um but it it, it is you know something that we're doing that pretty much nobody else is doing in the city and um you know and there's just kind of like a reset like oh yes we're being reminded that you know the pandemic is still present and it's still very present in our operations books take way longer to get to us than they used to there's massive print delays um backlist is not readily available because publishers are so focused on getting understandably getting front list out quickly um you know so some like classic older titles that you would never think you'd have trouble getting a hold of you actually do have trouble getting a hold of or they've been moved to print on demand or they're being fulfilled through a wholesaler there's just very strange different practices that we're all adjusting to and we try to be communicative with our customers about it but it's just so different from how things were and it's such a small niche industry that of course they don't know <laughs> that, um, that things have not just reset to how they mm-hmm. were before the pandemic um you know it, it the people are like oh yeah i heard about the supply chain last year everything's better now right and you're like oh it's worse actually <laughs> <laughs> oh is, um, is it worse than than last year the supply chain i i have found it to be worse both from people's expectations 
um, because again, you heard we there was such a concerted effort to make people aware of the problems last year, and there's such a you know we are destructible creatures. We have stuff going on. The world is complicated, so people are sitting around being like, yeah, I wonder how the independent bookstore supply chain is going. They come in to buy a book, right? And so you know the, these things these things are all affected, and the smaller you are, the deeper these things are felt. You know, uh, and, and so I I think that that can be. Um, a difficulty, but I also think that there's still so much appreciation for the ways in which we pivoted and were able to still impact our communities and our neighborhoods during the height of the pandemic. And now as we move into this kind of phase of existing alongside a global pandemic and a three-demic or whatever on earth is happening, um, I think folks are still very appreciative and aware of that, and they've kept shopping with us and kept making that effort. Um, and we've gained a lot of customers through that. But I also think that, yeah, it can be really hard to still be saying the same thing two to three years in mm-hmm. that people are a little bit tired of hearing. Yeah, of course. Uh, Hillary, how are how are you finding it? So I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because I just started my bookstore in december of last year so this whole year i've been building it up and doing pop-ups and online sales um so i was in another bookstore last year so i can kind of compare and contrast but my um experience hasn't been in store in a year um so i don't have like as much information as i would i feel like if i was in the store um yeah of course But at my pop-ups that I have done, um, you know, people, it's definitely a learning curve, it seems like, for everyone and figuring out what the new normal is. Um, And I have noticed that a lot of books that I previously could get, you know, as a bookstore manager, I'm not able to get or it takes a lot longer than I'm expecting it to take. Um, But again, that could just be because I'm on a different coast and I'm new at everything could you um describe what a i I mean i think people generally know what a pop-up is but you know it's not always used in terms of bookstores so could you describe a little bit what that is yeah so um basically what i've been doing is bringing a whole curated selection of books um to different events like community events all over the place um so if i'm doing like a kids event or a story time i you know bring a lot of just children's books um i've been doing farmers market so i go and just bring a little selection of books there um and it's yeah small just a few tables full of um as many books as i can put on them that's that sounds so fun and amazing but also incredible that you're going to have a brick and mortar store at at such a generally different uh, difficult time and and we'll hear a little bit more about that later um i wanted to um get lisa's perspective how's it been in in ithaca book selling yeah um well Overall, sales haven't been great this year. Um, We've been comparing them because everything's been so weird for the last two years plus. We've been comparing to 2019 a lot, and uh, we're not there yet. We're not even close to 2019 sales. Um, So that's challenging um, because, as all the booksellers will know, um, we're doing all the other things we can possibly do to 
accommodate the fact that this is such a difficult industry. You know, the, a lot of people don't know this, but we, we face ridiculously different um, profit margins because publishers set the pricing and the discounts and they're lower than for most retail um, and we can't change the prices. Um, on top of that, of course, everyone knows we're always competing with Amazon. So all of us who are independent bookstores are scrambling all the time to keep a very, very close eye on our expenses and how we're spending our money. And we're doing all of those things um, and working really hard. And it's still very, very challenging. So so that's true. Um, we still, I always say that being a cooperative is our superpower because so much about being a cooperative is about representing our community and being there for our community. And it works both ways. Um, that's really important to all indie bookstores. And we have that built in extra support from our community because we are a cooperative. So we still feel that very strongly. And uh, yeah, and then the pandemic, you know, we're all still masking in the store. We finally uh, just around the holidays said, you don't have to wear a mask, but we would hope you will. And we still are providing free masks too. And most, most people are fine with that, but we're not going to, you know, we've decided at this point that as long as we're all masking, we won't force it on someone, which we had been doing. You know, it was like one of those things that became a part of being at the register was constantly asking people to put on a mask. So we're kind of glad to be past that part at least. But um, we all decided as a team at the bookstore that we felt strongly about protecting each other. And uh, so that's where we are. It is interesting to hear um, from both yours and Hannah's perspective that it is that it was or is bookstores that are kind of the last holdouts on masks. And it makes me think of how much that bookstores, at least in my experience with indie bookstores, are interested in community safety, in in relationships between community members being ones of having places to gather that they that they feel safe. And I think that's an extraordinary thing in a in a retail space, actually. I wanted to learn a little bit more about your specific stores and how they cater to the clientele and the community they represent. Hillary, I'll start with you as having the newest store. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what makes your store unique and how you try your best to um, represent the, the community that you're hoping is going to come into your brick and mortar store? Yeah. Um, so I'm focusing on uh, Indigenous writers BIPOC authors and queer books, which is really exciting. I've just moved here um, to upstate New York a year ago. So I wasn't exactly sure. That's part of why I wanted to do the pop-up model to start with so I could get to know the community here and see kind of what they needed and what they were interested in. Um, it's pretty rural and like definitely not as blue as California. Um, so I wasn't sure you know, how people were going to take to my little bookstore. Um, but thus far, it's been amazing. And the um, the coolest part for me is that I've been connecting with a lot of queer people and a lot of people of color and Native people who um, are really excited to have a place that is a safe place and um, does, you know, have just so many books that they can see themselves in. Um, and there isn't a bookstore here at all right now. So um, 
I'm kind of trying to still focus on what I'm focusing on, but also kind of cater as a a more normal bookstore too, since there isn't one. Um, But right now I'm so tiny, I've been able to just, you know, I can only bring the books that I can physically carry into a space at the moment. Well, I love the idea that for for that community, you're changing what maybe what the concept of a a quote unquote normal bookstore is. And so they can think about their local bookstore as having this particular uh, interest. I think that's fabulous. Yeah, it's been really sweet to, to feel welcomed so far. That's that's so great. Um, at Lisa, you want to jump in? Yeah, so um, as I may have mentioned, Buffalo Street Books is a cooperative bookstore. Um, we are not a worker-owned co-op, but a consumer-owned co-op. So anyone in our community can buy a share, um, and we offer opportunities to do that on a, a monthly basis or um, one-time fee. Uh, it, it has made us feel a responsibility to the community that I think is above and beyond. I think all indie bookstores do this. It is one of our superpowers, but, um, knowing that the owners of your store are the people you are serving is different than, you know, knowing that you own a bookstore. Um, and so I think that that's, that's one of the things that really sets apart. And, you know, we work really, really hard to have our staff, our, the books on our shelves, um, the events we're hosting, be as representative as possible for everyone in our community. We have special relationships with quite a few um, local nonprofit organizations um, and schools. And, you know, for example, one of the highlights of my year this last year was um, having Dr. Nia Nunn, uh, who is at Ithaca College uh, in the education department, but is also the board chair at Southside Community Center, um, call me up and say, I want to bring in some kids and bring in a group of young people from Southside um, and just make them feel at home in the bookstore and make them feel like this is a space where they belong. And that was the whole goal of it. So those kinds of things are, are really special and a big part of who we are. Yeah, and as a as a a frequent visitor to the store, I can say that 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 feeling comes across. There are there are vibes uh, to bookstores, <laughs> and they are you know that's for me the important thing when I go and visit a new place and I I go to the indie bookstore. I want to feel what the vibe is like, how it how it reacts and responds to its community, and and I love that about Buffalo Street Books. Hannah, how about you? Yeah, I'm having flashbacks because I started as a pop-up in the holidays of 2018 and was literally dragging everything. Like every time I did a pop-up, it was furniture stuff from my living room. I just like lived in it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It was very cozy. I had all my friends out as I pulled them out of the car every time. So um, I'm so excited to see Black Lava in its space. But um, yeah, I I think that... (sighs) when you are there's a difference um between a general bookstore and a mission-based bookstore and within those extremely broad categories there's a thousand subgenres, and three of them are on this podcast so um 
I love that, but I do think community care takes on another level. If you start an independent bookstore, you obviously care about your community. It's a difficult job with not much money, so you <laughs> must be motivated by something other than um, just wanting to run a great business. Um, but the idea that you would choose not to take the utmost care of, of the most vulnerable in your community is really anathema to independent book selling, I think. But especially if you are focused on... Um, authors of color, queer authors, disabled authors, immigrant authors, if you're, you know, at least situation, if your community is the literally built into the foundation of your bookstore as owners, it, it would be kind of madness to ignore <laughs> their most pressing need, which is their, you know, just like baseline physical health. Um, so I don't, I don't find it terribly surprising that, you know, we're all trying to navigate this as best we can. The answer is not always going to look the same, but it, it is the consideration I think at the center of the stores. Um, you know, and, and as we try to figure out how to operate in this health madness, in this, you know, delay madness, I think there's a lot of, you know, people love to throw in the word boundaries right now, but boundaries are part of the vibe, actually. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And trying to set up, you know, I've worked in a lot of stores that I loved before opening my own, but there weren't customer boundaries um, mm. baked into the, the propriety of the store. And as someone making a space that was going to have BIPOC workers and queer workers and disabled workers in the store, I knew that capitalism and customer relations as they currently stand, you know, the, the end result of that is a warehouse where people don't get breaks and mm -hmm. where they're competing with machines and being timed every moment of every day. And that wasn't what we were going to do. So, yeah, you know, figure out a way. <laughs> I hope so. Figuring out a way to have customer service that is not that, you know, there's not a great model for that, actually. Um, but there's a lot of great family and, uh, you know, in D.C., legacy Black-owned businesses that I modeled myself after, just tr just trying to think, you know, people have done this before we were all told, you know, to maximize profit over literally everything else. So let's figure out and get back to that and figure out how to have community-centered um, businesses, both for our staff and for our customers. I, I love that. Uh, and so each of you is intimately invested in ways in which to offer a uh, a diverse and inclusive world of books to your customers. And one of the things I think that COVID really highlighted for booksellers and readers and is just all the ways in which the publishing industry has tried to maintain a status quo and has failed to diversify the books that it puts money behind, the authors it brings on. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, mainstream, you know, gigantic publishing for the most part, um, but it, it sort of courses through the whole industry. And I'm wondering with the sort of like large creed de corps and, and outcry that happened to um, to make some some real changes in that industry, whether you're starting to see it at all. And I wonder in ways small and large, whether that kind of inclusivity is is showing up on in your catalogs. I think the caveat that I will give is that book publishing is very slow. And so mm -hmm. we're seeing the fruits, you know, I, I've been doing this, I, I, I don't know, around 12 years now, I think. Um, and so it is better from when I started and it's much better from, I think, when people uh, as, who tend to be in this at the top of both publishing and book selling, which tend to be have very little 
room for promotion and very little um, open jobs at the top, which is part of the problem. you know, compared to what they're used to, it definitely is different. But I think as someone who spends, you know, the, the, the results we're seeing now are the books that were commissioned and published two to five years, right? So that's what's coming out now. So, you know, someone gets a book deal and it takes years for the book to come out. So mm-hmm. there is that. Um, the, the other side of this is that as someone who does, you know, dig into a $30,000, 30,000 title, you know, catalog from a giant publisher who distributes smaller publishers who, you know, they're all, you know, increasingly just becoming one publishing blob. Mm-hmm. Um, as you dig into that and you're like, oh my gosh, look at these great, you know, titles and, and, and they're, wow, they're actually putting marketing dollars behind this, you know, block author. This is amazing. You still have another, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of titles that are not that. So the balance is still way off. Mm. And we are in a situation of tokenization right now, not actual representation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, go ahead. I mean, it's, I mean, again, someone who just came back to book selling five years ago, I can see a change in the catalogs over those five years. I can see a change toward increased diversity um, in that time frame, but 100% it is, it's not enough. Um, and I, I, I have to say, Hannah, you know, like when, when I'm going through those giant catalogs, I am constantly saying to myself, does this book really need to exist? Does this book really need to exist? Because there is I know, the unspoken thing you're never supposed to say, but we're all like, maybe they should publish less. I know. It's a, it's a, it's <laughs> a weird it's a weird that. thought for a bookseller to have, right? But but, you, you know what would get cut if we told them to publish? Less. I it know. Not be the, the diverse books would not make the cut. Yeah. Of like maybe we don't all need seven copycat books. Yeah, exactly. That was what I was going for. I was just going to say the this the the way that publishing publishers just copy each other, and so there'll be you know five versions of the same basic concept and then within that oh my gosh the 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 book covers you know like okay this book cover works really well this style of cover works really well for say historical fiction featuring women it's always going to be a silhouette from the back of a woman looking out at something um the the repetitiveness is what can kind of get uh make you think hmm but all of that said we love all books we want them all published and um I do think, you know, we've had, we've had authors who are uh, white cis males saying, oh my gosh, it's getting so hard to be published as a white cis male. So somebody's noticing something. (laughs) 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 I don't know. Um, Definitely more work to be done. And yet, and I also want to say that I see it. I see the change in the people who come into my bookstore and feel good about being in there and find books that they want to own and to read and to share. And that's really powerful. So I just put all of my energy and hope and belief into the fact that we're going to keep moving more and more in that direction. Hmm. Hillary, how about for you in, in early, early days? Yeah. Um, I have spent a lot, of time digging for the books that I'm looking for. Um, you know, so I think that it's definitely, it's definitely better than 
when I started, you know, in the book industry, certainly. Um, but it's still like a lot on, you know, the book buyers, I feel like to kind of find these books, like it hasn't, they haven't just jumped out at me, like, cause there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely better. Um, you know, I remember when I worked at another indie that I would be like, oh, all of these new books we got in are all by white men. <laughs> like, that's weird. Um, mm, what so a coincidence. It, yeah. So it does seem like it's better, but I would agree that it is like, it feels more like tokenism still than actual representation. Um, but hopefully the ship is like headed in a good direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I would I- just- I wanted to jump in and add that we um, are all, I'm sure, aware that right now HarperCollins um, workers are on strike. The HarperCollins union is on strike. And what they're asking for relates to this conversation, Um, how publishers treat their staff, um, how they pay them, what their expectations of them are, and how diverse that workforce is, um, are a piece of what creates this larger picture. And um, so we wanna, I just wanna give a shout out to those HarperCollins union members who are act, uh, are protesting and striking right now, um, looking for um, better situations in publishing for the workers that will also influence what books we're gonna see down the road. Yeah, thank you so much, Lisa, for that note of solidarity. That's that's so important, especially as you know the the publishing industry becomes more that one monolithic, giant capitalist creature. That sort of that solidarity with pushes for you know real wages and 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 a real life well lived in the book industry becomes more and more important. I want to switch us to an exciting topic, and that is your books of the year. I'd love to have you go around and share a couple of your of your favorite books, you know, two or three of the ones that are at the top of your list. And, you know, we'll have a complete uh, list from each of you on the website at burnedbybooks.com with links to purchase these books from the bookstores represented here today. Um, but I'd love to hear about some of your favorites. Uh, and and Hillary, I'm I'm really excited uh, for your your list, and and I'm hoping you'll start us off. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of my picks came from I run a book club um an indigenous it's called indigenous and lit um and it's a monthly book club where we read contemporary uh native fiction um and nonfiction. um so most of my books came from that because the list was just so great this year um the first one i guess i'll talk about is it was never going to be okay which is a poetry collection by jay simpson um and it just absolutely demolished me in a Mm. the best way possible um i it's beautifully written um and kind of just talks about uh life as a non-binary trans um, indigenous person who was also in foster care. So it deals with a lot of trauma, but in a really powerful and beautiful way. That sounds devastating and amazing. I I saw that you have a woman of light on your list, and that's something that I've heard a lot of people recommend. Would you tell us a little bit more about it? 
Yeah. So, um, woman of light is one of those like perfect novels where I feel like everyone would enjoy it. Um, it's beautifully written, but still very accessible and it's a historical novel set in Denver and it kind of mirrors the author's family a little bit. Um, her family is from Denver for, you know, all, you know, all time memorial. And, um, it goes back and forth between the main characters um, who are two siblings and then their grandparents um, in the late 1800s and the 30s. And it's really interesting to see this kind of Western city taking shape um, over the course of that time. And it has some magical realism, um, which I loved. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. And it's it's really quite a beautiful uh, book object as well. I've seen it a, a bunch and it's it's just lovely. I'm really excited. It's gorgeous. I always tell people like, you're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but like we do. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. enjoy a beautiful cover. <laughs> that's the biggest lie of like booksellers and book lovers is that we're not judging <laughs> by covers. For sure. Hannah, um, will you tell us about a, a few from your list? Oh, my goodness, yes. Although I, I think every bookseller has a phenomenon. Where it's like, what have you loved reading? And I was like, I've never read a book. I don't. <laughs> um, it's like immediately freeze. And then I'm like, wait, no, I've read a lot of books. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, God, what a good book year. I, I have to say uh, I'm a giant fantasy nerd, and it's been a really great year for sequels, so I always hesitate to, like, recommend sequels, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> recommend away. <laughs> recommend away, right? So we had Bloodmark from Tracy Dion, which is the continuation of the Legendborn cycle. Um, I actually uh, studied Arthurian literature in grad school. This is, like, my passion, and I never thought I would see an Arthuriana set in uh, the Carolinas with like a black girl as the protagonist. And so wow. um, obviously I'm biased, but this is like, like literally it's like the staff favorite book. Like everybody has read the series and, and loves it. So the, the follow-up did not disappoint. Oh boy. I don't know how she pulled it off. Um, so oh, yeah, that's, that's so cool. by Tracy Dion and the first book is called legend born and it's the best. Um, and then for, for that, you know, that can be teen and up reading that. And then for, for folks slightly younger who also love it, um, a, a middle grade, you know, chapter book that I am also obsessed with and can't wait for the next book is called The Marvel Marvelers by Donald Clayton. Um, and, you know, uh, as someone who does not sell um, any of J.K. Rowling's works because of her, uh, you know, uses, abuses of her power um, against the most vulnerable in our society, I um, was delighted to find something that I was looking for as a kid who was obsessed with wizarding schools <laughs> mm. that, like, answered the siren call of my heart in such an incredible way. The Marvelers is a blast. It does have all those great magical school vibes, a little bit of mystery to it. Oh, that um, sounds so great. Yeah, and the children's from, children from all sorts of backgrounds using their culture and, like, that being the source and the empowerment of their magic rather than it all being kind of bent towards a very... Um, you know, colonialist understanding of magic and power. So it, it's like, it's a blast, but also the message in it is so cool. And I, I read it in like a couple hours. Granted, it is for kids, so I had an unfair advantage. But <laughs> I loved it and I can't wait for the next one. 
I mean, that's a, I, and, and personally, I love to hear sequels that I, I don't know about the series recommended because what ends up happening is if you know, there's a great second and third book, then you, you just are more likely to dive into that first one. Absolutely. And that, and that, uh, that new school for wizarding recommendation is so appreciated. Um, Lisa, tell us, a, tell us a couple from your list. Yeah, it's very hard to, to not um, want to just quickly talk about all of them. But given what H Hannah was just talking about, and I couldn't agree more about the Marvelers and, of course, Tracy Dion. But I wanted to highlight um, the author, Kaylin Bayron. Um, her most recent book is The Vanquishers, which is also for the middle grade crowd. Um, I, I love this author. I first discovered her at an ABA Winter Institute many years ago. Um, and what I love about her is her writing for children is always like effortlessly queer and black positive, but it's just telling authentic and gripping stories. So this one, The Vanquishers, centers on a group of clever friends and they are very, very much um, a, a community unto themselves, these young kids who are going to take on the vampires uh, who are threatening their community. Um, but if you are looking for YA, uh, Bayron has Cinderella's Dead, This Poison Heart, and This Wicked Fate, and more books coming out in 2023. And I just want everyone to discover her. She actually moved to Ithaca after meeting us and getting to know Buffalo Street Books um, from, from oh my Texas. Goodness. So, uh, I, it's not, it's not, a, that's not the only reason I want her to get broader attention. She's amazing. She's a great person to do events with really, really articulate and just wanted to mention her, um, back Talk about to, the pull of a bookstore. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It's pretty cool. Um, I, uh, want to talk, I mean, there's so many, but my all time favorite this year in adult fiction has got to be Kevin Wilson's Now's Not the Time to Panic. Um, it's the book where I put it down and I just felt the most satisfied. And mm. it takes more for a writer uh, who is white and male to hit my bookshelves because I just require more of them at this point. You know, I'm like, I've read a lot of white male books. So if you're an author who is white and male, you better really show it to me. <laughs> and and Wilson never fails. Um, so I want to recommend that one. And I think one that did not get enough attention in my mind is The Women Could Fly by Megan Giddings. Um, it's, yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it's really beautifully written. Um, her first book what was her first book called. Can't remember. Um, Lakewood. Um, and she got a lot of attention for that one. Um, but this book I would, um, say is kin to Octavia Butler's Kindred. Uh, it has a lot of that magical realism, if you want to call it that and, or, uh, native black religious elements. Um, and I, I think it's really, really great. So wanted to mention that one too. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. I'd love if each of you would offer one more of your favorites and then maybe one or two that you are really excited to to sell and and really hand sell at the store in the coming year. Um, how about if I just keep going since I'm Yeah, that's I'm great. So another one I want to highlight is True Biz by Sarah Novick. 
Um, yeah, I'm very interested in this one, and I've had it recommended to me a number of times. I actually yeah. know nothing about it, so um, tell us. Um, so this book is set in the world of a school for deaf um, young adults, and um, the story is very powerful and moving. There's a element of suspense a little bit. There's um, a lot, a lot, a lot about deaf culture. And it's one of those books that's just revealing it through the story in that way that is so powerful, um, rather than banging over the head with the problems. It's it's a story that you're going to want to read, and you're going to learn a lot about deaf culture as you do. Um, and for next year, the one I most want to highlight is another local author. Jennifer Savron Kelly's End Papers is coming out in February. Um, the st story centers around a book conservator who in 2003 finds a hidden queer love letter in a lesbian pulp novel, and, mm. she, and they become obsessed with finding the author. And along the way, they also come to a clearer understanding of their own gender identity. It was an indie's, indie's first. It was chosen by other indie booksellers as a book to highlight um, in the coming year. And um, it's very exciting. It's a debut published by Algonquin, and we are just really, really excited for Jen and her book. So. Yay, local authors. That's that's <laughs> amazing. I'm excited for that one. Hannah, how about on, on your end? One more one more favorite from the year and, and maybe one or two that you um, you can't wait to to sell at the store. Oh, yeah. Uh, so hard to choose. Uh, but I'll go with one that I also think did get like enough attention because after all, that's what we're that's what we're here for. Um, yeah. So Big Girl by Mecca Jamila Sullivan. Um, it's it it's an incredible, fun, gut-wrenching novel. And like when something can be fun and gut-wrenching, I love it so much. Um, mm -hmm. um, the main character, uh, Malaya, is uh, literally a big girl. She's a big girl. She's big. She's black. Um, and she's in, you know, 1990s uh teen and early adulthood trying to find her place in the world and so there's fabulous um you know there's so much biggie in this book there's such great fashion in this book there's um you know 90s harlem and, and you know it's a bit of a gem of i think something that we've lost a little bit um to gentrification but also an investigation of the beauty of that community but also some of the harm of that community um that can do to, to the vulnerable amongst them. So it's just this beautiful coming of age novel and the author- It's got a great such, cover. Yeah, it's a fantastic cover. And and the, the cover does not lie, judge a book by its cover. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so- That's great. Uh, definitely check that out. It, it's a great read, um, intergenerational read, mothers and daughters, uh, you know, family, uh, religion. It's It's got something for everybody that, you know, just loves to really dive in and get swept away in a novel. Um, and oh God, uh, you know, I feel, I feel like we're in like a glutton of good books because so much stuff was held for the last few years because of the mm. panty. So, um, but I actually have to give a shout out to Beth Ann Patrick's Life B. Um, it does take a lot. I missed, um, I, I missed oh, the sorry. name. Sorry. Life B, just the letter B. Um, okay. and, and it's a, a memoir, a collection of writings that Beth Ann Patrick, um, who is actually a, like a, a book reviewer and a, a community member in the, the DMV area for, um, you know, just has been an incredible champion of literature. Um, 
but you know, kind of like Lisa was saying, it takes a lot for me to to recommend, you know, a book not by a person of color. So this is a little strange, but this is the most vulnerable and incredible piece of writing. I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. Um, mm. About mental illness, living with depression, um, that it you know cannot be overcome by sheer force of will. What it looks like to walk through life with a brain that functions this way and chemistry that functions this way. It's moving and <laughs> so open and so clear while talking about something so personal um, without being clinical, but still being really, really clear about what we're dealing with here. And that's such a hard balance to strike. And I cannot wait for people to read it. It comes out in May, I believe. Yeah. May oh of my, next year. My goodness. I'm I'm sorry that we have to wait so long because it's I know. I feel incredible. bad recommending something that's like six months away, but it's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> well, we'll definitely keep it on the must-buy list. Uh, Hillary, uh, another favorite of yours this year, and then maybe a book or two that you're you're super excited for the year to come. Yeah, so um, potentially my favorite novel of the year was Calling for a Blanket Dance mm. um, by Oscar Hokea. It was so amazing. I feel like it was kind of underrated, like I didn't hear or see a ton about it but it is a debut novel and I cannot believe how brilliantly crafted it is it basically follows one main character through the perspective of 13 different people who each have a chapter goes chronologically through his life but you're kind of seeing him through different people in his community and it's just like beautiful and sad it deals a lot with like um border crossings and how you know indigenous people don't really have a border um, and mm -hmm. how difficult that can be and just a beautiful family story um, that I really recommend and a book that I'm excited about uh, which is actually coming out in January so it's coming up soon um, is called Bad Cree by Jessica Johns and it's a kind of horror spooky ghost novel but by a native woman which I'm really excited mm. about um, mm -hmm. because I think that women writing horror is maybe one of my favorite things even though I'm a baby <laughs> um, and I do a ton of horror but yeah. if it's I thought I didn't like it because I'm not into a lot of uh I guess straight white dudes writing horror um but as soon as I read uh like Carmen Maria Machado I was like nope I like it when when women do it apparently that that sounds like something that's gonna have a, a huge pull I hope Hopefully it, I think like for, you know, fans of Stephen Graham Jones and things like that, it'll be perfect. And it also just sounds, you know, spooky and eerie, but not straight up too much. Yeah. I'm a baby too. So I need the, I'm, I'm okay with it. And, and obviously, uh, Carmen Marie Machado, uh, I, I, I'm there for it as, as long as it's not too, too scary. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. 
Uh, these are really tremendous, uh, and and I'm so thankful for your broadening each of you, broadening my my reading list and the things, you know, that I missed and the things that I have to be excited for. I, I'm wondering, you know, in my family we do rather randomly we celebrate the Icelandic tradition of giving books on on Christmas Eve called Yola Book Flood, uh, the great flood of books. And and you're supposed to, you know, drink hot chocolate and and sort of read through the evening. We're not Icelandic and it is just kind of, you know, our way of having more books in our life. Um, but I wonder whether you have holiday or winter or solstice traditions that involve books and reading and spending time with friends and family that you'd be willing to share with us. I can go first. Great. Um, I don't have anything like, like that sounds magical. And I kind of want to do that as well. Um, <laughs> but me and my partner actually have both worked in bookstores for a long time. And so we're usually, you know, this is the craziest time of year. You're working right up until Christmas Eve and it's insane and you're exhausted. Um, and so what we usually do is on Christmas day, we have it off and there's no more customers and we can just relax the whole day and read. Finally, mm -hmm. it's kind of the first day back to being able to like read. So I always will grab like something I've been excited about, but have not been able to get to because December is so crazy. I love that. That sounds wonderful. Hannah, how about you? Um, yeah, I, I found out, you know, people have been sharing about this Icelandic tradition the last couple of years. And I was like, oh my gosh, my family's been doing this. Who knew we had this tie? Oh, um, fun. I think it was a clever uh, thing on my mom's part, actually, to have like a moment to herself. <laughs> like, yeah, like looking back as an adult I'm like oh yeah she let us unwrap a book so we would leave her alone she was, like, the side her. benefits of Icelandic right? holidays like, clever, clever mothers um yes but I, I will say um so aside from uh you know getting a book on Christmas Eve and being sent to read in a corner uh which sounds negative but was super positive <laughs> we uh you know also have uh, a tradition of uh reading um uh the christmas scene that is weirdly in the middle of the lion the witch in the wardrobe by c.s lewis <laughs> that's amazing the <laughs> there's a chapter where father christmas shows up which makes no sense but you know C.S. Lewis is nothing if not inconsistent. So <laughs> it is, it, but it's a really delightful scene where the, the four children of the spirit of the land, this magical land of Narnia, get a visit and get kind of gifts that help them um, through for the second half of the story. It's kind of a turning point in the middle of the story. And so um, it's kind of a celebration of um, actually a little bit of the, the pagan and the, um, uh, uh, and the, you know, what has now become this. Christian holiday of, uh, you know, kind of there's, we're in the middle of it now, but there is light coming. And that is the celebration, um, mm. which my mother always made a really big point of saying like, this is, this is to help us get through the next part of the darkness of it mm -hmm. being, being cold and dark. Um, which I love that, that part to remind ourselves that we're halfway out of the dark. Yeah, I, I I love that tradition. I totally forgot about Father Christmas showing up so weirdly in the middle of that of that, that book, but I'm going to have to seek it out again. Lisa, how about you? 
Um, like everyone else, um, we, uh, I am exhausted at the end of this week. Um, so we definitely do the, you know, Christmas day, uh, do as little as possible beyond opening presents, reading and eating. Um, I've been trying to institute the Christmas Eve book flood tradition. Um, I buy everyone in my family pod here a, uh, a book and we do eat chocolate or drink chocolate, but I, it hasn't spread to the point where the others are doing a similar thing for me, which I think should, should happen. Yes, it but, should. <laughs> but the, um, the other tradition I like to highlight is one that the bookstore participates in every year. Um, it is putting a book on every bed. We call it the book on every bed campaign. Um, this is an idea that originally was shared by um, the historian David McCullough long time ago, apparently, which was something his family did where his mom would leave a wrapped book at the end of the bed on Christmas Eve so that it was the first thing they found when they woke up on Christmas morning. Again, I think a clever mother providing a child with a distraction to keep them from waking parents <laughs> up early on. Um, but uh, we've incorporated it along with the national columnist, Amy Dickinson from the Ask Amy column uh, as a, an opportunity to encourage everyone in the community to try to put a book on every bed for all of our kids, whatever holiday they're celebrating. And uh, this year we took donations of books in store and we worked with um, Children's Reading Connection, a local literacy organization, and we collected books to donate to um, a local child care center down right downtown. And so yesterday, about 150 books went over to uh, the Downtown Ithaca Children's Center and families were able to pick those books and wrap them and take them home for their own kids. So I like to encourage that as a new tradition that other indie bookstores can take on um, and check out Asking Amy's column because she highlights some of our recommendations and talks about a bit more about this. And every year she's looking for recommendations from indie bookstores. So maybe we can make it a thing. I, I love that so much. And a book on every bed seems just the, the perfect thing for this time of year. I'm so happy that my listeners now have three bookstores that they can seek out in their travels, that they can seek out online for buying from Indies, Loyalty Bookstores, Black Walnut Books, and Buffalo Street Books. Discovering new bookstores is one of my favorite things, uh, and it is such an important thing to remember that they are our commu community spaces, and buying from them supports our communities. And it was such a pleasure to speak with each of you. I'm so thankful, Hillary and Hannah and Lisa, that you came on the show and shared all your favorites. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I can't wait to check out Hillary's new store. And I still haven't made it to Hannah's, but I will. I know. We're, we'll, we'll, we're allowed to move about the planet again. So we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> there soon. <laughs> well, thank you. And happy holidays and, and happy new year to you all. Thanks, you too. You too. You too. Well, that's all for me for now. My great thanks to Hannah Oliver Depp from Loyalty Bookstores, Hilary Smith of Black Walnut Books, and our own Lisa Swayze of Buffalo Street Books. I learned so much from these bookstore owners and booksellers. 
As one of our past guests, Ursula Villarreal Mora says, if you're not reading BIPOC and indigenous writers, you need to be. And if you're not finding them, you're not looking. And each of these brilliant booksellers is putting underrepresented authors and books at the forefront of their businesses. I'm grateful for all the new recommendations, all of which can be found at burnbybooks.com, with links to buy them at these three special indie stores. Until next time, this has been Burned by Books. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 